0: Matthew chapter 21, so beginning in about the 23rd verse, i just read a verse here and then we'll look a little farther. And when he was come into the temple, the chief priest and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching, and said, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? I read that that we might know who the rest of this chapter is addressing. So to the chief priest, to the elders of the people, so to the learned, to the religious, to those that are the most knowledgeable about the Word of God, about the Old Testament, about Moses' writings, the prophets, about all of that. And and from that point to verse number 44, we've got Jesus giving parable after parable, instance after instance of trying to bring them to a knowledge. And this is the verse I'd really like to think on, verse number 45. And when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. They perceived that he spake of them. What a wonderful thing that we could perceive that God is talking about us. You see, if I miss that, if it's always for my brother or for my sister or for this man or that lady, if it's always for somebody else, then where does that leave me in my walk with God, in my need for salvation? Where does that leave me? And I I believe we've just got, you know, really we've got And notice this, when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard his parables. So there's several here, isn't there? There There's several instances that he's going to point them out. So I'd like to just, I'd like to look at these instances and maybe you could see them as we walk down through it. But know this. At the end of all of this, they still want to kill him. They still want to get rid of the Lamb of God. And you know something? If I die and go to hell, I'd like for you to just think on this one little half a chapter right here of the multitude of witnesses that are going to be against Look with me. Let's walk down through this text, Verse number 24. I will also ask you one thing, and if I tell you if you tell me, I, and likewise, will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John: whence was it? from heaven or of men? So I'll say this, the baptism of John brought a witness and a condemnation to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the elders, and the chief priests. If you would look with me in Matthew chapter 3 for just a moment, we'll try to not be in such a hurry we don't cover it, but not wear you out. But John is baptizing... And this is his baptism. This is what he says. Chapter 3, verse 2. Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Who are, who's coming? I tell you, the, the sinners. They're coming. They're being baptized. There went out of Jerusalem all Judea and all the region round about Jordan. So, the word "all" there is that everyone individually is that everyone no I tell you john is or or uh, Matthew is writing that a multitude of the region a multitude of Judea came, and they were baptized on him and Jordan, confessing their sin, so there is an admission so Jesus questioned the to the Pharisees to the elders to the To the chief priest, John's baptism, was it of God? Was it from heaven? Or was it just something man made? Something, it was just a work of John. Well, here are all these people coming out, being baptized. They're confessing their sins. You think they're confessing their sins unto John? No, I tell you, there's a work, John is doing a work. The Holy Spirit is upon John. He's preaching, repent ye, for the kingdom of God is at hand. But notice, notice, though all of Judea and all of the region come, were baptized in Jordan, but then when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come, what did he say about them? O generation of vipers, Oh, you snakes, What are they? They're poisonous. They are a group of people that are poisonous to the rest of the people. What's wrong with these people? Now, remember that they're the most knowledgeable. They're the most religious. They're the ones that have studied the Bible. They're the ones that have the most knowledge of the Bible. They are a group of people that have been set up They're separatist as far as the Pharisees are concerned. They're probably in the lineage of Abraham in another sense. They're through the lineage of Levi if they're the priest and the the leaders. But they do not come to be baptized of John. They did not come to confess their sin. You know what they are? They're righteous in their own selves. So I would say this... In the book of Matthew, chapter twenty one, according to the Word of God, this is what they say. They're going to condemn themselves right here. Listen to verse number twenty five. And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, so if this John the Baptist from was from heaven, well I ask you this knowing your Bible, was he from heaven? Did God send him? (laughs) He's the forerunner of Christ, did not he? He was born as a promise of God, wasn't he? And and they said, if we say that he's from heaven, or the baptism of John was from heaven, we're going to condemn ourselves. Because we didn't follow John's preaching. But if we say that it was from man, then the people's going to rail on us because the people believed in the baptism of John. So right here, you know, they've not perceived it yet. They've not perceived that He's talking about them, but He is. Isn't He? He's talking about them. So, you know, I need to think about this Scripture. Is this Scripture only applicable for 33 A.D.? No, i tell you this scripture is applicable for 2023 A.D. Isn't it? So let's walk on down. And again, a lot of territory to cover, but I just hope we can see this. Let's look at verse number 28. Here's a man that had two sons. He came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and he said, I go, sir, and went not. Whether the twain did the will of his father. So I'd like for you to think about this. Here are some rebellious sinners here are some sinners that are so rebellious, they say, I'm not going. I'm not having anything to do with church. I'm not having anything to do with religion. I'm not having anything to do with that. And you, I'm, I'm telling you to your face, I'm not going. Now, do you know some people in your life that's been like that? Did you do that? Did you do that? I did that. I believe there's been a multitude of people that had that attitude. And I did. I had that attitude. I had an attitude of disrespect for the house of God. I had an attitude of disrespect for the gospel, disrespect for God's people. And I tell you, I was rebelling openly against it. But thank God. One day I realized that he was talking to me. One day I realized that it was me that was in rebellion. It was me that needed salvation. Jesus, remember now, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the elders. There was another group there that said, Sir, oh, they're respectful, aren't they? They've got an outward show that they're going to go. They're going to live for God. They're going to be dedicated to God. They're going to work for God. But the truth is, listen to what the Bible said, I go, sir, and went not. You might think that little word, sir, there doesn't mean anything. But you know what it does? It just brings greater condemnation on them. Because there was an outward respect, but inwardly, and by action, there was nothing done. They said, I'm going. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to dedicate my life to the Lord. But they never did it. But the the rebellious, the disrespectful, those that the world would say there's no way that they'll ever get saved... Thank God God brought a condemning word and God come by with His Spirit and revealed unto them that there was salvation for them. I tell you this friend, you will never ever get too low, too dirty, too nasty, too ungodly, too far down for God to save you. But you certainly can be too self-righteous, too good, too upright, Too much of a pretender for God to ever do a work in your heart. Don't forget who he's talking to. He's talking to a people that outwardly put on a show of being religious and being right and being children of God. Walk with me a little farther. The Bible says to us in verse number 31, whether the twain did the will of the Father, they say unto Him, Verily, I say unto, uh, they say unto Him the first, Jesus saith unto them, Verily, I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. You know, here are some notorious sinners. I mean, here are some big sinners. As far as these Pharisees, Sadducees, there's nobody any lower than the harlots and the publicans. Nobody any worse. Nobody more ungodly. Nobody more unrighteous. Nobody, the truth is, by the Pharisee that went down to the temple, you know what he he thought about himself? He said, oh God, I thank you that I'm not like that old publican over there. I thank You, O God. But you know what that publican did that day? That publican had his face to the ground, smote on his breast, and said, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. But the Pharisee did not see himself as a sinner. But I tell you, Jesus saved notorious sinners, great sinners ugly sinners, nasty sinners, sinners that the world would say there's no hope and they don't deserve to be saved. i tell you, that's the ones that the Lamb of God came to save. Look at the condemnation here. So the condemnation of a Pharisee, no, no condemnation there, the condemnation of a publican and a harlot. Wouldn't that be awful? <clears throat> Wouldn't it be awful to go through this life being religious and self-righteous and a harlot get into the kingdom of God and you miss it? You might think, well, that, that, that's an awful thing to say. No, I'll tell you what they did. They repented at the preaching of John. Will I have to repent? Yes, I will. And know this, all of this time Jesus is revealing and showing unto the religious crowd. He's talking about them. They perceived that He spoke of them. You know, isn't it something? That folks never perceive that God's speaking to them. I, I, I'm amazed. Yeah, I'm amazed. He, he said in one place, he said, well, we go down to the marketplace and there's dancing and there's music and nobody comes. And we go down to the funeral home and there's weeping and there's crying and nobody comes. You know what he says? It doesn't matter whether it's the Son of God bringing joy. Or John the Baptist bringing condemnation. Nobody needs anything. Like he, what he was doing. He was bringing his parables down to them. I'll tell you the notorious sinner. Thank God they can be saved. You, 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 you just ponder on that. You ponder that Jesus saved a harlot named Rahab. And out of her came an Obed and a Boaz and a Ruth. And friend, right on down the line, and there came a Jesus. <laughs> you know something? You don't get too dirty for him to save. But I tell you what, you can be too self-righteous for him to save. Well, let's read a little farther. So the Pharisees and the publicans believed when they had seen it, repented, they repented, but that you, you, you believe not. You, when you had seen it. What did they see? They saw the publicans and sinners come to John's baptism. I believe they saw a change. They saw a changed life. You know, I, I can see that. I know folks in here. I know people sitting here that God has changed their life. That there is a visible change. You know people that God has made a Visible change. You might have thought that they were notorious sinners. You know, there was Jesus at, at Simon's house, and Simon said, if, that, if this man were a prophet, he would know that this woman is a sinner. Yeah. Why is he allowing her to put her hands on him, to pour that oil on him, to weep on his feet? She's a sinner. That word meant a known sinner, a notable sinner. But I tell you, thank God the Lord Jesus Christ was able to save notable sinners, rebellious sinners, ungodly sinners. I tell you, sinners that the world would say there is no hope for them. The Lord Jesus is able to save them. But if we never perceive ourselves as a sinner, if we never perceive that He's speaking to us, What hope do we have? Look with me on down. So there was a man that planted a vineyard. And he hedged about it. And he digged a wine press in it. And he built a tower. And he let it out to husbandmen. We could read this over in about the 5th chapter of the book of Isaiah. And I tell you, you talk about opportunity. Look at the opportunity that God has afforded you. Look at the opportunities that God has given unto you. I tell you what he's done. He's made everything available for you to repent and be saved. He he he, he let this vineyard out to the husbandman. He hedged it, he planted it with the choices of vine. He sent the Word of God to them. I'll tell you, by the Word of God right here, He sent three different uh, people to come and to get something from the vineyard. He was come desiring fruit from the vineyard. So you think about it. He sent Moses and the law. He sent the prophets. And He sent, last of all, His Son. And what did He get from that religious crowd of Jews? He got beatings. He got stoned. He got healed. He got hung on a cross. That's what the Lord, that's what the God in heaven got for all of the opportunity that He gave to a people that were religious, a people that were self-righteous, a people that were in the lineage of Abraham, a people that had more opportunity than anybody else on the face of the earth. And you know, people might debate that or question that, but I tell you in the book of Amos, He said, you only of all the nations, all the people on the earth, you only have I known Israel. I tell you, friend, that Israel had an opportunity, and right here in the United States of America, right here in this little community, there is greater opportunity than there is in many, many places upon the face of this earth today. And what has been done with the opportunity that God has given, a friend, when he sinned and he desired fruit, when he desired something, a friend, that resembled him, something. That resembled his planning. Something that he deserved. Something that should come to him. What has he gotten? You know, religion is going to send a multitude to hell. It is. Preachers are going to send a multitude. Not literally. Not literally. That preachers not going to send people to hell. Literally. But I tell you, by the lies. By the lies that have been given out. I, I, I believe there's going to be an answering for that. I really do. I, I believe if, uh, that there's going to be an answering to the lies that have been told. You know, if there, is, if there is greater degrees and it's more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than it is for Bethsaida and Capernaum, my, my, what retribution... What torment? What anguish? What will hell be like for the liars? What will hell be like for those that don't tell the truth? What will hell be like for those that are leading people astray? What will hell be like for them? Right here is a group of people that have had greater opportunity than anybody else. You think the harlot and the, phar- and the publican had the opportunity that the elders and the Pharisees had? They did not. They did not. They did not have that opportunity. Listen to the Word of God. So he hedged about it. He digged a wine press in it. He built a tower and he let it out to husbandmen. And when the time of fruit drew near, you know something? God's not asked something out of you at an unreasonable time. He didn't ask you to be saved at three years old. He didn't leave you without any knowledge. He didn't leave you without any knowledge of your sin. He didn't leave you without a witness of the Word of God. He didn't leave you without a witness of other people that God has changed their life. He didn't leave you without an opportunity. At the time of fruit is sin. I tell you, it's time, friend. It's time today that we bring something of some fruit unto God. It's time today that we answer for the opportunity that we've been given out to you that God is saying this and people are perceiving that He's speaking about me. He is. Yes, He is. And when the time And when the time of fruit drew near, He sent His servants, that they might receive the fruit, that they might receive the fruits. I ask you this, what's God getting for all of His investment? For the Word of God through Moses, the first five books, for the major and minor prophets, for the four Gospels, For the epistles, for the Holy Spirit, for Jesus Christ, the Son of God that died on the cross, sent us the Holy Spirit and sent us a word from heaven above. What's God getting from you? What is God receiving for all of His investment? Listen to Galatians Galatians chapter number 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's first on the list. Love for what? Love for who? By here, there should be love for the man that planted the vineyard, shouldn't there? There should be love for the one that sent the gospel, shouldn't there? There should be love for the One who sent His Son to die. There should be love for the One who sent the Holy Spirit to us and brought us under conviction and brought us to a place of realization of our sin and our shortcomings and our need for a Savior. To know that there is a judgment to come, we ought to love Him. We ought to love Him for sending the law and bringing us guilty. We ought to love Him for sending the Gospel and bringing us joy. We ought to love Him for sending Jesus and bringing a sacrifice that satisfied God. We ought to love Him and there is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and meekness oh my where are those things where are those fruit where is that fruit of the spirit of god he tells us in romans chapter number nine romans chapter number nine he says this for whom he did foreknow he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That word conformed, that word means to be jointly formed. How could I be like? To be conformed to the image that my life would be likened unto the Son of God. Would you say this, friend, that there could be no greater conformity to be jointly formed? I tell you it must take a joining of the Holy Spirit unto you. There must be a joining of the Spirit of God in your life for you to become like Jesus. They were first called Christians at Antioch. To be Christ-like, right? That's, that, that's sort of the meaning. To be Christ-like. What would make me Christ-like? I don't believe there could be any greater Christ-likeness then for your life to be under the control and under the fulfilling of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. There could be nothing greater than a joint forming the Holy Spirit of God working in you, transforming you, you're not conformed to the world, but you're conformed to the image of Him who dwells within you. And if there's no conformity, if there's no change, if there's no fruit of the Spirit of God, then you know what? All of God's investment, all of that that hedging, all of that planning, all of that. And you know something? He didn't just sin one time he sent over and over and over again, and is looking for fruit out of the life of the religious crowd over the crowd of imposters, over the crowd that said, Yes, sir, I go. But they didn't go. So he sent other servants more than the first. They did unto them likewise. But last of all, He sent unto them His Son, saying, They will revere My Son. They will reverence My Son. But when the husbandmen saw them, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Do you see the recognition? you see they recognize Him? This is the heir. Let's kill Him. You know what they want? They want the blessing of the Father, but they don't want to acknowledge the Son. They know that this is the Son, but there's an open rebellion and rejection against the Son of God. That's what's going on in our world today, an open rejection against the Son of God. But know this, all these little parables, He's speaking about them. Could I put my name there in them? Could could I read it like this? And when the chief priests and the Pharisees had heard his parables, they perceived that he he spake of me. He's talking about me. I perceive that he is talking about me. Is that true of us? Listen a little farther. When the husbandmen saw the son, verse 38, they said unto them among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him. Let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. What are these people? i tell you what they are. They're thieves and they're murderers. Are they not? Are they not thieves and murderers? Are they not trying to lay hold on that that belongs to another? I tell you this, the only way that you'll ever be saved is not to murder the Son of God. We're already guilty of that but to embrace the Son of God, to realize that He is God's means of salvation for you, to realize that the only way that I could ever be saved is to acknowledge that He is talking about me, that I'm the murderer, that I'm the thief, that I'm the one, that I'm the harlot, I'm i am that. I'm that one. I perceive that He is speaking of me. So there's a recognition. Isn't this? This is a sobering thought to me. To recognize that God is talking about and talking to you and they recognize the Lord Jesus Christ as the heir and want to kill Him. All of the opportunity that they've had It's come a time that the Lord should be getting something out of their lives, shouldn't it? It's come a time to receive the fruit. It's come a time... Now I ask you this, what did you invest? Only thing I had to invest was my sin, my ungodliness, my self-righteousness. My my outward show. And inwardly, I you what I was inwardly. Inwardly, I was a murderer. Inwardly, I was a thief. Inwardly, I was ungodly. Inwardly, I had absolutely nothing to offer unto God. It was all outward and it was all a show. I tell you, God's looking at the heart. And did He come once? No, He come over and over and over again and they caught him, and they cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. Now look, verse 40. So they're going to say this, verse 40. When the Lord thereof of the vineyard cometh, what will He do unto those husbandmen? They say unto Him, He will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out His vineyard unto other husbandmen which shall render Him the fruits in their seasons. You know what they said? They said the actions of this crowd is condemnable. The actions of this crowd is outrageous. The actions of this crowd is totally against God. And they said, He needs to take that that vineyard away from those miserable, those wicked men, and give it unto somebody that'll bring forth fruit. Condemn their self, didn't they? Yeah. So you just look down through the text. They're condemned by John the Baptist. They're condemned by the harlots, by the publicans. They're condemned by the notorious or by the rebellious sinners, those that were disrespectful that repented. They're condemned by the actions that they look at and see. They condemn themselves. What should... You know, the Lord says... You tell me. What do you think we ought to do? They said, He will miserably destroy those wicked men. That, that word there means worthless, depraved, injurious, foul, rotten, an uh, inner rotten character. What's wrong with them? What's wrong with them is not on the outside. What's wrong is on the inside. Why are these men wicked? Because they've got a wicked heart. You know, you might look at the you might look at the harlot and you might look at the publican and you say, I want you to look at their, I want you to look at their actions. They looked at these actions and condemned them. When they beat one, stoned one tried to kill and did kill the Lord Jesus and seize on the inheritance as thieves, as murderers, they condemned those actions. But the only problem with that is they condemned themselves. You see, we look around and we look at the outside and we see how wicked and how vile that our world is. The truth is... That's the way that I was on the inside. I was rotten and wicked and ungodly and vile and a murderer and a thief inwardly. You know, I could say honestly, as far as murder, as far as being a thief, as far as beating, as far as stealing, you know, I I could say, you know, I, I wasn't guilty of that. But I was inwardly. Maybe not outwardly, but I was inwardly. The Lord says to us, What's Jesus going to do? In, in the big picture, what's going to happen? They're going to crucify the Son of God. The Jews are going to say, Let his blood be upon us and our children. And was it? Yes, it was. It still is today. I, I'm sorry to say, but the truth is today, as far as a the whole, they're still rejecting the Son of God. They're still rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. What did Jesus do? I tell you what he did. He sent the gospel to the Gentiles. He sent the gospel not, not any longer. Not any longer to a little nation called Israel. But I tell you, He sent the Gospel to Samaria. He sent the Gospel to Judea. He sent the Gospel to Greece. He sent the Gospel to Rome. He sent the Gospel all over the world. And there's still a group of people called Israel today, for the most part, that are still rejecting the Lamb of God. How do I apply that today? Well, right here in this church, the notorious sinners, the rebellious sinners, those sinners that said, I'll never come, I'll never go, I'll never go with that crowd, I'll never believe the Word of God, some of that crowd is being saved and a group of people that have been raised in church, a group of people that has been here for years and years, a group of people that are religious outwardly, are still dirty on the inside, a group of people that God has moved away from. And I tell you, friend, I don't know when it is or what point it is, but I do read this, that God turned a group over to a reprobate mind in the book of Romans. I do read that. That He left them. I Your house is left unto you desolate, O Jerusalem. I tell you, there comes a day that God will no longer deal with man. He told Noah, He said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. I'll tell you this, friend people can reject it all they want to. If God doesn't strive and doesn't wrestle with man, there'd be nobody saved. If God did not overpower and friend bring man to a revelation of his condition and the Holy Spirit of God do a work in a man's heart, he would never ever be saved. You say all you have to do is make a decision. All you have to do is make a choice. I tell you friend, you've never ever made a choice without something previous causing you to make that choice. It is against your nature to choose Christ. It's against your nature to come and be saved. It's against your nature to come and believe the Word of God. But thank God by His Spirit and by His power, He can change our desire and change our want to. And you can come to the place that you want to be saved. These people are condemned through this parable over and over and over again they're condemned. Right here in verse number forty one, they condemn themselves. Listen to verse number forty two and three. Have you not read? Are these readers? These are readers. Oh yeah. Listen who they are now. Don't forget verse 23. Come unto the temple the chief priest and the elders of the people. Are these readers? These are readers. Have you not read? Did you never read in the Scripture the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. You can read that in Isaiah chapter 8. You can read that in Isaiah chapter 28. You can read that in Isaiah chapter 29. Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth fruit thereof. Jesus said, I'm going to give you exactly what you said should be done. Isn't that right? Didn't they just say that's what should be done? But they forgot that they had read the stone that the builders rejected the same has become the head of the corner. I'll tell you this, friend. Whenever you start a house, and i tell you, you are. You are the building of God. And if there is ever a building of God, if you are the building of God, if you are the temple of God, there must be a first stone laid. And that first stone that's laid in every person that is a building of God, a temple of God, a tabernacle of God, a building of God, everyone, the first stone that is laid is Lord Jesus. (coughs) But you know what people are going to do? (coughs) They're going to reject Him. You can't build a house of God without Jesus Christ being the first stone laid. Where's that laid? In the heart. Slight in the heart. Yeah. Listen to Isaiah twenty eight, verse sixteen. They should have read this. Therefore thus saith the Lord God Behold I lay in Zion for a foundation a stone Now most folks are going to say well Zion is the church well I think it can be symbolic of the church but let me ask you what are you Are you the church Are you are you the house of God are you the temple of God so if you would, if, if you don't have it marked, you got a pencil or you got something, read Isaiah 28, 16. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a, few, a sure foundation. Listen to the next word. He that believeth. Where's the stone laid? It's laid in the heart of the individual. Though we as a body, though we as a collective group make up the church, but we are individually. He hath laid in Zion. The word Zion can mean several different things. But I say this. It is the dwelling place of Yahweh, the God of Jacob. Read it. You look it up and read it, find you some definition. It also means this, a parched place, a desolate place. You talk about an empty place and a parched place. My heart was a scorched, barren, waste, howling wilderness. And God Almighty laid a stone, the stone of the Lord Jesus Christ, He laid in my heart. And you know something? I'm never going to be ashamed Isaiah 28, 16, a stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, he that believeth shall not make haste. So, should they have known that? So, what's condemning them now? We could say it two ways. We could say the Word of God is condemning them, we could say the prophet Isaiah is condemning them. We could say that their own reading and their own teaching is condemning them. I tell you, you talk about a people that's under condemnation. It's just over and over. Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. Broken how? How? very good, David. Amen. Inwardly. Broken inwardly. Broken in heart. Broken in thinking. Broken in emotion. That if you fall on the Lord Jesus Christ, you come to a place that you have a need of salvation. You come to a place that you realize your sin. You come to a place that you are going to repent. Your mind, you're going to think again. You know, I thought for years I was just fine. But i tell you, one day I repented. I thought again. And after I thought again, my actions changed. After I thought again, I repented. Not only did I think again, but i tell you, I had a different action and a different attitude because God did a work on the inside. A friend, God's doing this work. I'm either going to fall on this and be broken inwardly Or this is going to fall on me and crush me to power. You're going to come to Jesus Christ as a broken sinner. Okay? You're either going to come to Christ as a broken sinner or Jesus Christ, the rock of ages, is going to fall on you and grind you to powder and in hell you shall lift your eyes. Just a little more. When the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived, they understood, they put it all together. That's what perceived means. They put it all together. They understood. They perceived that He spake of them. But when they sought to lay hands on Him, they feared the multitude because they took Him for a prophet. Condemned again. Are they not? Look at them. They can't carry through with what their desire is because of the crowd, the multitude is going to condemn them again. How many times... I don't, I, I don't know I hadn't counted them. I'd say eight, nine, ten times in 20 verses, they're condemned. Mm-hmm. They perceived that He spake of them. Right. I tell you, it'd be good every time I hear a sermon, every time I read the Word of God, It'd be good for me to perceive that God is talking about me.